Well, the sermon was in the last song we just sang. Um, Jesus, I belong to you. Yes? yes? Jesus, I belong to you. Then it says, uh, You're the reason that I live. Yes? yes? The reason that I sing. Yes? yes. Uh, that's the sermon. Shall we just adjourn? <laughs> Shall I pray and we just leave? No. You want your money's worth, right? You want your money's worth. I've got I to earn my keep anyway. Uh, there's a beautiful story in 2 Samuel chapter 23 about David and his mighty men. You guys know that this is what Scripture, talks, uh, scripture calls David's elite warriors. They're called mighty men of God. They're called valiant warriors. Um, I've always loved this story. I've never used it in a sermon. I realized I was sitting there Friday morning. I always try to begin writing on Friday morning. And uh, I was trying to think how I could introduce the text tonight, and it occurred to me I can use this really cool story in 2 Samuel chapter 23 about David and his mighty men. The bad guys, the Philistines, had captured Bethlehem. You guys remember the account? David and his men were encamped some distance away. 2 Samuel 23.15 tells us that David, anyone remember? was longing for a drink of water from his favorite well in Bethlehem. The well by the gate. You guys know this account? I love this story. Three of David's elite men, Joshib, Eleazar, and Shammah, heard of their king's desire. And Scripture tells us that these three mighty men, they broke through the Philistine camp, uh, went to the well, drew water for David. They fought, fought their way back out of the Philistine camp and brought this uh, water to their king. Let me just stop and ask you, what could possibly uh, possess these men to do such a thing? Why do you think these guys would do this? Loyal? What? Love? Yeah, I like that answer. Loyal's good too. I mean, there's no reason to do this. They weren't commanded to do this. There was no obligation or duty to do this. Why did they do it? I think Gary's right. It welled up in their hearts to do it for their king, right? This is how much, this is how much they loved their king. Now, I'm sure some, some could be cynical and say, well, they, they probably just did it. Maybe they did it simply to curry favor with the king to score some points with the king for possibly a future promotion. But this is not what we learn about these men if we actually read our Bibles. It wasn't about selfish ambition. It really was about selfless love. Gary is exactly right. These men loved their king. It wasn't about duty. It wasn't about obligation. It was strictly out of love. And that's how it is with you and Jesus, right? That's how it is with you and King Jesus, right? It's not, about, it's not simply about obligation. It's not simply about what I'm commanded to do. It's not simply about my duty. Sometimes it just wells up in your heart, doesn't it? To go above and beyond all that He has commanded. I just love this account. It's the kind of love that Jesus has really called us to. Uh, in the body of Christ. Um, selfless, sacrificial, courageous, and expensive. We talked about this many, many times. This is how we are called to love 
one another. It's really how God originally designed men uh, to relate to, to one another before the fall. And it's really what He's called the, uh, the redeemed to, to how, how we're supposed to live as well. Uh, loving each other like this. It's like all of those self-initiated acts of love and devotion that you read in the Bible. You know? Why does David go out and stand in front of Goliath? Was he commanded to? Was it his obligation to? Was it his duty to? Why did David go out and stand in front? Why did this 13-year-old boy go out and stand in front of this nine, pardon me, nine to ten foot giant, armor-plated fighting machine? Why does David do this? Why? He loves God. And you remember that Philistine was standing out there. Remember, Goliath was standing out there taunting the armies of God. David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of my God? It just welled up in David's heart, this little 13-year-old boy, probably 13 years old. And he goes out there and he kills that giant. Why does the widow throw in her last two copper coins into the temple treasury? Was it her obligation to do it? Was it her duty to do it? Why does she do it? Why would, she, why would anyone do this? She loves her God. You know, and I'm, I'm sure many of you can give testimony. Like Sometimes you just cannot not worship God in an extravagant way. I mean, this is how it works in a Christian's life sometimes. I mean, I mean it's just... You're caught up in it. You're caught up in this, this great love affair, this sacred romance. She, she throws in her last two coins. It's not duty. Not, it's not law giving. This is not law giving. This is I love God so much. He's the most real person in my life. You know, it's not about doctrine and theology with her. It's about, it's about her love affair Amen. With, uh, with God. Why does Mary, just a couple more examples, why does Mary break the vial of costly perfume to anoint Jesus. Was it expected? Was it commanded? Was it obligatory? Why does she do it? She loves Him. <laughs> it's like you are with Jesus, right? She loves Him. She cannot not do it. I mean, she loves Him. She loves her King. Just like those three mighty men loved David. She loved her King. And oh, guess what? <laughs> He's the King of Kings. Amen? He's not just any king. He's the king of kings. One more example. Why, why does Peter get out of the boat and walk with, with Christ on the water? Did God require him to get out of the boat? You know, Peter wanted to get out of the boat. It welled up in his heart. He said, Jesus, if that's you out there, bid me come. Just like you are with Jesus, right? Bid me come, Lord Jesus. Bid me come. It wasn't about obligation. It was about desire and that's what we see in these these uh, mighty men's lives they loved David they loved their king and they just they just wanted to do this for him does anyone remember what David's response was they brought him the water does anyone remember what his response was it's almost as shocking as the men going and doing this pardon me Calvin's got it he wouldn't drink it it was so Precious to him, it was so priceless to him, he cherished this so much, he poured it out to the one he supremely loved. Remember? 
He doesn't drink the water. He pours it out to the Lord is what the text says. Beautiful. It's beautiful. So tonight, we're going to see the Apostle Paul use this imagery about being uh, a drink offering. Uh, and he talks about his life and ministry in this regard. Uh, and I thought as we return to the book of Philippians, it would be good, it would be wise just to spend a few minutes just to get back up to speed on, on, uh, on the book of Philippians. Uh, we haven't been in the book since mid-November when we got off on uh, Christmas and we've been doing some other things at the first of the year. We know that Philippians has been dubbed the Epistle of Joy. Why has it been dubbed the Epistle of Joy? In fact, if you listen to the text being read tonight, you heard the word joy or gladness or rejoice five times. Now, we know Paul's in prison. We know he's uh, chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. We know he's being slandered in the church at large. We know that uh, Caesar may cut his head off any time. But Paul just keeps talking about what? His joy. In his King of Kings. His great love for His King. His willingness, his willingness to lay His life down for His King. King Jesus. Paul just keeps talking about it. We see it over and over in this great book. We saw Philippians 1.21, probably the best verse in the Bible that quantifies what it really means to be a Christian. Philippians 1.21. Someone tell me what it says. You guys remember the great verse, right? To live as Christ, what? To die as gain. That's how it is with you, right? That's how you live your Christianity. That's what life means to you. To live as Christ. To die is gain. This is what the Apostle Paul says. In fact, you remember, he says, I'm hard-pressed. He says, I want to go be with Jesus right now. Remember? That's how you are, right? You're hard-pressed. It would be good to stay because to stay would be fruitful labor. To, to do labor in the kingdom. To sow good seed. To edify the body. To share the gospel with the lost. It would be good to stay. But he said, man, I think I'd rather go. Beloved, I hope that's real in your heart. I hope that's real in your heart. I think if we're really in deep relationship with Christ, it will be real in your heart. You will see life like this. To live as Christ to stay here, to, to breathe one more time is about Jesus. But to die is to be with Jesus. Paul says, man, I'm hard-pressed. I'm hard-pressed. Then the Holy Spirit, we, we begin chapter 2. You may remember back in November, the Holy Spirit says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each one of you regard one another as more important than himself. In verse 5 of chapter 2, God says, Have the same attitude in yourself which also was in Christ Jesus. Now what attitude does Paul describe in Philippians chapter 2 about Christ Jesus? What's the example there? Humility, exactly. Humility. I mean, we see the infinite condescension of God, right? God becomes a man, right? I mean, how can you not worship? I mean, really, we should just be on our face right now. God becomes a man. He's in a manger. He's come for His people. He's come to redeem His people. So, this infinite condescension of God. Remember, we talked about this. This radical humility of God. And this is the kind of humility He calls us to, right? 
I like what John Piper says. He says, man, this should stun us into humility. Beloved, you have problems with humility? You just need to really spend some time with Jesus. You just really need to, to read your Gospels over and over and over and over and over again. You look at the humility of Jesus. That's God in the flesh, right? That's God. You look at the humility of Jesus Christ. Then in verses 12 through 16 of chapter 2, the Holy Spirit exhorts uh, the believers to work out the salvation that God has worked in. To work out the salvation that God has worked in without any complaining or grumbling. Does anyone remember why it's not good other than the fact that God commands it? It's just wrong for the Christian to complain. Does anyone remember the two points we made? Why is it, why is it wrong for the Christian to complain? It's a bad witness, that's right. Okay, it's like critiquing God, right? Do we believe He's sovereign or not? Do we believe that His providences are sovereign in our lives or not? Do we believe God's in charge or not? If we're, when we're complaining, we're actually kicking against the providences of God. If we've understood our Bible, He's sovereign. He's sovereign in the lives of His people. What was the other reason? Does anyone remember? Remember we looked at that great, that great verse in Lamentations. I think it was chapter 3, verse something. You can find it for yourself. Um, why should any man complain? Remember? What does God say? Why should any man complain? In light of your sin. Why should you complain about anything in light of your sin? Remember? Why should I complain about... I should be in hell, right? If we've understood our Bibles, that's where I should be. I should have been there yesterday. What have I got to complain about really when it comes down to it? Wow, what a great verse. Why should any man complain in light of his... in light of his own sin... So in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1-16, through 16, God is calling us to radical humility, radical love, and radical sacrifice. Jesus is our model in this. And that brings us to our text tonight. Verse 17-30. to 30. To a degree, verses 17-30 through 30 are simply a tutorial on verses 1-16. through 16. This is simply how to do what uh, the Holy Spirit's been talking to us about. He gives us a couple of illustrations. Paul... Timothy and Epaphroditus. God illustrates this principle of uh, radical humility, radical love, and radical service in the lives of these three men. Verse 17 and 18. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way, and share your joy with me. I mean, Paul, yeah. <laughs> He's just full of joy. How about you? That's how it is with you and Jesus, right? That's how it should be, right? If we're thinking rightly, if we're not listening to ourselves, you know, I've been saying this a lot lately. You know, if you listen to yourself, you're not going to have much joy. Because you're going to see all the bad stuff. But if you preach to yourself from the Word of God and you realize who you are in Christ and your unfathomable and infinite inheritance in Him, you can't help but be joyful. 
If you're thinking at all, if you're conscious at all, if you can comprehend the written word at all, <laughs> you can't help but be joyful. All that God has said about us and all that He is doing in our behalf. Paul says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Now, I know that some of you are familiar with the Old Testament drink offering. You know the story. Uh, the Hebrew would come and he would, he would slit the throat of the, the ram or the goat and, uh, or the bull and, and uh, uh, the blood would be spilt and then the carcass would be, we, would be put on the fire, right? And it would be burning. And then a priest, the priest normally sometimes would, would take wine. He might take water, sometimes honey, but he would pour it on top of the, the sacrifice. It was like the, the, it was the, the finish or the, the completing of the sacrifice. And the wine, of course, would vaporize. And it was symbolic of going up into the nostrils of God. This is what Paul's talking about. He says, this is my life. I'm just a drink offering. I'm just a drink offering to God. My whole life. <laughs> Don't you love this? My whole life is a drink. I offer it up as a drink offering to God. What beautiful imagery. What beautiful imagery. Paul says, man, that's my whole life. I'm just a vapor. We've talked about this many times. What are you on the earth? A vapor on the earth, right? I just thought of this. I thought it was clever. I can tell you're not impressed already. <laughs> um, he's a vapor being vaporized. For the glory of Jesus. I don't know. I, I liked it. Um, thanks, Keith. Drum roll from Keith. Thank you, brother. Uh, he's just a vapor on the earth, uh, giving his life over in service and sacrifice to the one he loves supremely, that being King Jesus. Paul says, That's how I do. Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 16. I am poured out as a drink offering. It's not obligation. It's not duty. I love it. He says, I love it. I love giving myself away to this awesome God and this beautiful King. I love it. It's my joy. Beloved, if we, if we don't walk away, from any, walk away from Philippians with anything else, we should remember this deep and abiding joy of the Apostle Paul because we really should mirror. We should mirror him in that We've talked many times about Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You know, the Holy Spirit used Paul to write those 11 chapters in Romans, 1 through 11, just some of the most lofty and breathtaking theology in all the Bible. And Paul gets to the end of chapter 3 of Romans and he just breaks out into doxology. That just means he breaks out in worship and he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the, the glory forever. Paul just breaks out into worship. And I'm fond of saying that Romans 12.1 is just the reasonable response to Romans chapter 1-11. through what does Romans 12:1 say? You guys know the great verse. Therefore, because all of this is true, because your God is so unbelievably awesome, because He saved you in the most astonishing way. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The Holy Spirit says, therefore, <laughs> right? Therefore, 
Brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I, I stand here as a servant of God on the authority of the Word of God, and I say to you, that is the only reasonable response to Christ Jesus. Give yourself away. If you've really understood the Gospel, give yourself away. Listen, beloved. If, there's a, if, if you're low on joy, it's probably because you're, you're uh, maybe low on obedience or maybe low on sacrifice. God calls His people into joy and it's always about obedience. It's always about sacrifice. Jesus says, My servant will be with Me where I am. We're called to go with Jesus. And that's what Jesus' life was about. Paul says, yeah, that's, that's me. That's what I was talking about Philippians 1.21. Romans 12.1, that's what I was talking about in Philippians 1.21. To live as Christ, to die is gain. As one old preacher, one old dead preacher said, his only ambition in life was to be God's errand boy. Don't you like that? How about you? Is that your ambition? Is there a better ambition? Someone tell me. Someone, someone tell me. Is there a better ambition to just simply be God's errand boy? I love it. Man, put that on my tombstone, Karen. Just put it on there. God's errand boy. Does it get any better than that? Does it get any better than that? You know, as your mom or dad or... Your spouse, you know, you're out running around town and they call and they say, hey, on the way home, stop and pick up some milk or some bread or, or the cleaning. Does that ever happen to any of you guys? Well, this is kind of how Karen and I, this is how we see our life. This is why we're in Milan. We're on our way home, right? And really, I want to encourage you to think about your life like this. We're on our way home to be with King Jesus. And Jesus... Let us know. He said, hey man, on your way home, I want you to stop by Milan. And I want you to love my people. And I want you to teach and exhort my people. That's why we're in Milan. We're just on an errand. And I don't know if this is our last errand or if there'll be another errand. It doesn't really matter. So many times our family will say to us, well, when are you coming home? How long are you going to be over there? What are you doing? You know, seven years. We didn't think it would ever last this long, right? <laughs> We're just on God's errand, right? Let me ask you, beloved, are you on God's errand? Are you on God's errand in your life? Or have you co-opted your life and it's all about you and it's all about what you, you know, it's all about your small dreams and your temporal dreams or, or, or have you really, yeah, given yourself away like Paul talks about? Are you God's errand boy? Are you like... Are you like David's mighty men? They were just mighty errand boys, right? Loving their king. Is that how you're loving Jesus? Uh, just an errand boy. Just an errand boy for King Jesus. I want to I tell you if, you, if you start to think like that, you'll be freed up. You don't have to run with the herd anymore. You can just go with Jesus. You don't have to conform to the ways of the world and you know, what you're... What, People think you should do. You just go with Jesus. Paul says, I'm giving my life away to the King of Kings. 
I'm the king's errand boy, and I am so full of joy, my heart is about to explode. It's real Christianity. It's what we read in the New Testament. Did you notice? Paul says here in verse 17, I'm pouring this drink offering upon what? The sacrifice and service of the Philippians' faith. Hey, it's not just Paul here who sold out. The Philippians have sold out. He's pouring his drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of their faith. They're serious about radically loving and serving King Jesus. They're mighty in sacrifice and service to Him. Philippians 1.29 You may remember we talked about this verse a few months ago. Philippians 1.29 Remember what Paul said? He said, To you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but to suffer for Him uh, as well. So the Philippians were serious about this. It wasn't just Christianity uh, light. It wasn't just, well, when it's convenient, I, I'll stand up and be a Christian. They were suffering for the name of Christ. It was serious with them. It was real with them. Paul says, I'm just a drink offering poured upon your faith and service. Did you notice Paul keeps talking about this joy? This joy that he, you know, it's like, man, you know, if you'll just go with Christ, if we'll just go with Christ, you know, you just can't help but, you'll just fall into joy. You'll just stumble into it, you know? You just stumble into it. It's not like, um, you know, if you, if you go out after Christ that you're going you're gonna to be enveloped in sadness and melancholy. No, you know, that's never going to happen. You'll be enveloped in the joy and the life and the happiness of God. It made me think of Proverbs 14.12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but in the end it is the way of death. Natural man's instincts, your natural instincts is to hold things close, right? Your natural instincts is to uh, protect yourself. Your natural instincts is to provide for yourself. Your natural instincts is to spend almost all your waking time thinking about yourself and how you can enrich yourself or promote yourself or advance yourself. Paul says, there's no joy there. There's no joy there. This is how the natural man thinks. But Paul says, when you give yourself away to Christ, you will find joy indeed. God-sized joy. There is a way that seems right to, to the natural way of thinking, but it's wrong. The more self-absorbed you are, the less happy you will be. The more you give yourself away to Christ and to the body of Christ and, and to propagating the Gospel in this lost world, the happier you will be. This is a biblical principle. Paul is our great illustration here. He is our great illustration. Life and joy are the exclusive, exclusive provinces of God. If you are not intimately walking with Christ, you've cut yourself off from real life and you've cut yourself off from real joy. And what I love about this, and I know I could get many, many testimonies uh, in this body about this. The joy is not in spite of the fact you went with Christ. Right? It's not in spite of the fact you gave yourself away. It is because you gave yourself away. Does everyone understand that? We don't have joy in spite 
spite of the quote-unquote, as many see it, a burden to obey Christ. Wrong. That's just dead Christian religion. But to really know Him and to walk with Him and to, and, and to intimately commune with Him, it's joy indeed. It's not in spite of going with Him. It's because we have gone with Him. It's because we've, we've sold out. We've sold out to live as Christ. To die as gain. This is what I think the Lord is saying to us. At least one thing He's saying to us tonight. So beloved, have you learned this biblical lesson firsthand? Have you learned that when you sacrifice in obedience to Jesus and in the body of Christ, that your heart is full of joy? Have you learned that? If you don't know that, I, I challenge you to try it. And, and I, I say this to you on occasion. To me, it's quite addicting. It's addicting. Um, to truly experience that joy of giving yourself away. Of saying, Jesus, whatever. To live as Christ, to die as gain. And as I said to you earlier, if your joy is small, it's likely that your sacrifice is small. Verse 19 to 22, here's our second example. Uh, Paul begins to talk about Timothy. I love what he says here. He says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you. What is he saying there? Why would he phrase it like that? You have to love Paul. He's always acknowledging the sovereignty of God. Actually, all he's saying is, uh, if it's God's will, if it's the will of King Jesus, I will send Timothy to you. God is, pardon me, Paul is acknowledging uh, and living in the absolute confidence of God's complete and utter Sovereignty. We don't know a lot about Timothy. We know a few things. Not much. We don't know how he became a Christian, but we do know he lived it out. It doesn't really matter how he became a Christian, does it, at the end of the day? What really matters is what? How you're living it. That's what matters. You know, some people say, well, Jim, I don't have an impressive testimony about how I was converted. So? How are you living it? That's what I'm interested in. Yeah, I like to hear a good story. I do. I love a good story. But what I want to see is how are you living it uh, in the world? How are you making Jesus famous in your orbit? How have you given yourself away to Christ? What sacrifice are you making uh, for King Jesus? That's what I'm interested in. And you know, that's what your family's interested in. That's what uh, your neighbors are interested in. They don't want to hear about the old, you know, yeah, okay, maybe they'll listen to your story, but man, they want to see, is it real? Is it alive? Is it, is it palpable in your life? This is, uh, I think, what the Lord is calling us to, especially by giving us these three examples, Paul being the first and Timothy being the second. Timothy was a mighty errand boy for God. Don't you love that? A mighty errand boy. <laughs> man, you know, Paul picked him up on his second missionary journey. I mean, there were some guys in Lystra or Derby or somewhere, you know, and they were talking about this really young kid. He said, man, you got, they said, Paul, you got to meet this young kid, right? He's jazzed up. He's gifted. You need to meet this guy. And Paul meets Timothy. Man, they are attached at the hip. For the balance of the New Testament, the last letter that Paul writes, who knows what it is? 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. He writes to his son in the Lord, his son in the faith. 
and he encourages him. But they were attached at the hip. Timothy was with, was with Paul uh, in Thessalonica and Berea and Corinth and Ephesus and Rome and Philippi. Most likely, he was in Philippi when the church was planted. And Timothy's whole life was just doing what Paul told him. <laughs> I mean, he just submitted to um, the authority and leadership of Paul. Paul said, well, let's go. Timothy says, okay. Paul says, well, let's stay. Timothy says, okay. Paul says, well, I've got to send you to Philippi. Timothy says, when do I leave? Is that how it is with you, beloved? I mean, um, in your relationship with Christ, we'll use, it, we'll use this relationship with uh, Paul and Timothy as a model. Is that how it is with you? Are you serving the body like that? Are you loving and giving yourself away to the body like that? Timothy's whole life was just simply serving God's apostle. Look what he says in verse 20. Paul says, he's a kindred spirit. He says, he's like me. He says, we're one, the Greek is one souled. We are one souled. S O U L E D. We are kindred spirits. He says he's genuinely concerned for you as he tells the Philippians. Verse 21 and 22, Paul says, uh, this is how Timothy is. He radically serves Christ. Uh, he's proved himself to be a lover of King Jesus. And he has loved and served me. Timothy is, is a single-minded man. He's an errand boy for God. That's it. <laughs> and I'm really, I know I keep saying it, but I'm going to keep saying it. That's, that's what I, you know, it's one of the things I want to challenge you to do in, 20, in 2011. I want you to learn how to be an errand boy for God. If, you, if, you don't, if you're not doing that now, that's, what, that's my exhortation to you. Just become God's errand boy. Just become God's errand boy this year. Whatever He wants to do. Whatever He needs done. Whatever needs to be done in the body, I'll do it. I'm just, I'm just God's errand boy. I'm not too proud. I'll, I'll have the same attitude Jesus had. Oh, that's God in a manger. That's God on the cross. That's radical humility. I'll have some humility as I serve the body of Christ. I'll have some humility as I share the Gospel. I'll just be God's errand boy. That's what I'm calling you to really tonight. Just to be God's errand boy. Lastly, the third example that the Holy Spirit holds up to us here is Epaphroditus. He's the third illustration. We know less about him than we know about Timothy, but this is one thing we know about him. He's, re he's a real Christian, right? He's a real Christian. <laughs> he's loving and serving his king and loving and serving the, the church of his king. We know that the Philippian church had sent Epaphroditus to Rome with an offering for Paul, but also, also with the, the instructions to stay and minister to Paul. Oh, wait a minute. Epaphroditus, surely he had a life in Philippi, right? Surely he had things he needed to do in Philippi. Probably had a family, may have had a business. But the church said, hey, you need to go down to Rome and minister to Paul. What does Epaphroditus do? Well, I can't, man. I got all this other stuff I got to do. I got all these other things on my, on my plate. What does Epaphroditus do? He puts his life on hold and what? He goes. You see why the Holy Spirit is giving us these examples? These men who really live to live as Christ to die as gain. They really do it. They just they flesh it out. These are our illustrations and, and models. How did the chapter begin? Chapter, uh, chapter 2 of Philippians. 
Jesus did not regard His godness a thing to be grasped. And he, and he gave Himself away for the redemption of His people. Epaphroditus is doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> I put my life on hold. The church has asked me to go and minister to the Apostle of God. I go. I do it. I'm just God's errand boy. That's all He is. What does it mean to be a bondservant? We've talked about this many times. Something Paul called himself frequently in Scripture. It's a slave by desire, right? It's a slave by choice. I'm just a slave by choice. I'm not constrained, but I choose. I choose to sacrificially love and serve my beautiful God. Look what Paul says in verse 25 about Epaphroditus. Look what he says. He says, man, he's my brother. He says, look what he says. He says, he's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. He's your messenger. He's a minister to me. Oh, verse 32, he's risked his life for the cause of Christ. He's a mighty warrior errand boy. <laughs> Amen? A mighty warrior errand boy. He works, he fights, he ministers, he risks his life for King Jesus. And did you notice in all of this, I want you to notice that all of this, the Philippians and, and Epaphroditus are concerned for Paul, and Paul was concerned for the Philippians and Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus was concerned for the Philippians. Everybody's concerned about everybody else other than themselves. It's Philippians chapter 2. I'll read it to you again. Verse 3, Do not do anything from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. That's how you're living in uh, the International Church of Milan, right? That's how you uh, relate to your fellow believers in this church, right? Everyone in here is more important than you, right? This is what the Bible calls us to. It's the one kind of discrimination that you can, you can, you can practice as a Christian. Everybody is better than you. Everybody is more important than you. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's biblical discrimination. Everybody comes before me. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? That's what the Holy Spirit's calling us to tonight by giving us these examples. Joshib, Eleazar, Shammah radically loved their king. They went way past duty and obligation. They acted purely out of desire. It just welled up in their hearts to love their king the way they did. It was the same with David when he stepped in front of Goliath. It was the same with the widow as she threw in her last scent. It was the same with Mary as she poured out, as she broke the vial and poured it out on the head and feet of Christ. They all had one thing in common. They loved God more than anybody else and more than anything else. Beloved, is that true of you? Is that true of you tonight? I'm, I'm challenging you. I'm asking you to examine your heart. Is there a raging love for Christ in your heart? This is, this is what God's teaching us tonight. He says, look at these men. I want you to look at these men. You think this is just filler? You think this is filler? You think the Holy Spirit said, well, we need something to fill up chapter 2 of Philippians? You know, I know a lot of people would read would speed read through this. Oh, that's just personal stuff between Paul and Epaphroditus and Timothy in the, in the church in Philippi. The Holy Spirit is challenging me 
I hope He's challenging you too. This is how the Spirit of God wants us to live our lives. There was a raging love for King Jesus in the heart of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. They loved King Jesus. And it was just in their hearts. And it wasn't about religion. It wasn't about doctrine. It wasn't about theology. Although all those things work into it, they loved Him. And they gave their lives away to Him. And beloved, that's real Christianity. <laughs> I know it's dumbed down in most places in the world. I know it's just dumbed down to you know, dead orthodoxy and liturgy and, and church attendance. and you know, I know it's dumbed down, but that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is to have a raging love for Christ in your heart that informs every single day that you live, this, live on this planet. That is biblical Christianity. The Holy Spirit says to you tonight and to me, Philippians 2.5, have this attitude in yourself which was in Christ Jesus. Radical humility, radical love, radical service. Not settling for Christianity light which is so pervasive in the modern church. You know, I'll just have a little of Jesus, have a little dab of Jesus. Christianity light, where it's still pretty much all about you. That's not biblical Christianity. God's called us to Christianity deep, where we go deep with God. Where we go deep with God. And we love Him above all things. So tonight, beloved, maybe it'll stick in your head. <laughs> maybe this will stick in your head. I'm calling you to be a mighty errand boy for God in 2011. And for every single day of the rest of your life, a mighty errand boy for God. You know, if you've got, it, if you've got an agenda and a calendar for the year, I want you to write that at the top of every month. A mighty errand boy for God. That's what, I think that's what the Holy Spirit's called me to be uh, throughout this text, and I pray that uh, uh, maybe you hear His words as well. A mighty errand boy for God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these illustrations. Thank you for these examples and these models. These are real men, flesh and blood men. We can do this too. We can really live Philippians 1.21. We can really live to live as Christ to die as gain. We really can learn how to radically love and radically serve the body. We, we really can honor King Jesus every single day of our life. We can really, we can really live like we love Him more than anyone or anything else. We can really do it. You've given us the examples. Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. Just errand boys. So Father, I pray that You would teach us this. That You would press in on our hearts and our minds. And we would understand, as we so often say, we are vapors on this earth. 
And oh Lord, I pray we wouldn't waste one more day chasing after worldly things. Giving our love and affection to worldly things. Giving our energies and passions to worldly things. But preeminently giving all of those things to King Jesus. I pray, Father, that You will continue to stoke the fire of our raging love for Him. We just want to learn how to be more sold out, Father. We just want to be used more radically by You. Because we know soon we will be standing at the Bema Seat looking Jesus in the eye. Lord, help us to keep that perspective. Help us to be Aaron boys for the glory of Jesus. We pray all this in His awesome and matchless and mighty name. Amen. Amen.